It's Monday. It's morning. It's a macabre. We're back. We're back. Welcome to Monday Morning Macabre. Post-Thanksgiving coverage brought to you by AT&T and Bud Light, motherfucker. We are filled with turkey. Filled with turkey. Stuffed with cranberry stuffing sauce turkey legs. I am from a distant planet and I am learning Thanksgiving. <laughs> I had normal human Thanksgiving. I'm a little late today because I had what us dads know oh. as a dad nap, which is a nap that takes place between between 4, 4.30 p.m. on a couch, and uh, you don't plan it. It just happens. And uh, so I've recently awoken from my slumber. Listen, as a father, you just got to, you know, have a couple brewskis, maybe uh, do a little lawn work. You know how it is. Adjust the thermostat accordingly. <laughs> Last night was uh, not not an ideal uh, sleep night for the old peanut. She was uh, her teeth are growing. She got two little teethers now. Ooh, thanks. And she's going like, "Hey, everybody, get the fuck up! It's time for dentistry." And she's leaving in the middle of the night to suck the blood of different like yeah. livestock. Yeah, we find a <laughs> there's a bunch of dead, dead goats in our yard. It's pretty. <laughs> pretty metal and it's like oh she's at that age <laughs> next it'll be the no phase huh <laughs> oh to be young again welcome to monday morning macabre <laughs> the podcast where we talk about all things spooky creepy scary ooky scary spooky dooky mysterious uh mysterious sometimes it's like true crime shit that happens sometimes it's stuff that may or may not have happened Hey, but we like to think it does. Yeah, I like to think the Vistala are still out there right now. Yeah. Speaking of Vistala, shout out to uh, shout out to Spooky Melanin <laughs> on Twitter. Um, <laughs> hit us with a real got had you in the first half meme. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, where you say, "Yo, yeah." So Scones and Darcy of MM Macabre Pod just talked about the appropriation of Vitala. Uh, so at that point I was like, is this the end of the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) And that's it, folks. Thank you. Goodbye. And I was like, Ooh, this is, there is a real, two very I want to go out. (laughs) There is some, there's a road that we take here. Then she goes on to say, while fully acknowledging the long history of English stealing from everyone and have never smiled so hard listening to two men talk 10 out of 10. Thanks guys. So then I was like, Ooh, real sigh of relief there because, uh, I feel like every other, time something is started like that it's it doesn't end as pleasantly and wonderfully so thank you and the motto is fuck the english fuck the english bros um <laughs> i hope you all had a us americans are totally in- innocent <laughs> we never <laughs> yeah, appropriate we anything <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. No, 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 yeah no. go kansas city chiefs <laughs> kansas city football team no, what's the is the no? That's a Washington football team. Yeah, right? no, Washington football team because theirs right. was a thousand. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, theirs was like <laughs> I can't. Be- I still can't believe it lasted as long as it did. Honestly, but here we are. Here we are. Another di- another week. Another dollar. We're <laughs> it's not a great deal. Most people are making seven times what we make. Um, Scones is going to be bringing that spooky juice. Yes, and this was a listener suggestion. We have so many, it feels like every I week is one. <laughs> we never, we haven't had our own, we don't do our own anymore. Now it's just you tell us. I, <laughs> you tell me. Scones, Honestly, you tell me, that's baby. what we get for having a great fan base. It's kind of on us. Hey, it's our fault. Uh, yeah, we're uh, it's so hard having people who like 
the thing you do it sucks it sucks and this one's from it fucking sucks Longtime listener, Patreon member at Ryan Benson author. Ryan Benson author. And he told Probably me the most suggestions about uh he might be up there. We have a lot I of people. Almost we have a lot of guarantee it, I think. He's the Hall of Famer. He gets the, the gold jacket. We should have a club where we send out jackets to the people. <laughs> <laughs> and he told me. He 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 cued me in. He he hit you with a little hizzy hay. To our subject today, where we're gonna talk about the Brooklyn Thrill Killers. The Brooklyn Thrill Killers, dude. That's my favorite wrestling duo. What the fuck? <laughs> Wait, who are who are who are these? It's either a hip hop duo or a wrestling team. You're gonna find out in. all about them after the band plays us in. That's the award show music. That's only oh. once a year. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, um, Canada, our home in native <laughs> land. We forgot to tell you guys, we are now mounted police in Canada. We have two moose that we ride. Uh, how much cooler would it be if the mounted police rode moose? That would be pretty sick. Sure would be. Hold on. I have to make sure of something. Hold on. Okay, you make sure of something. I'll just talk to the, the people. Hey, everybody. It's weird now. We're getting so mega famous that uh, we're getting spotted around town. You know, but they'll stop us in the streets and point at us and say, "Hey, wear a mask." And here we are. Okay, so I'm getting this from. <laughs> <laughs> this is an article I found uh, on the subject. It has a little, a little, uh, a little extra something, something. It's by Andrew Scott Cooper. I don't know what that means, it's but I like it. From the Observer. And I had to look up what the Observer was because I didn't want it to be like a fascist newspaper. No, <laughs> <laughs> the alt right home decor newspaper. The Observer. No, ironically, it's a British newspaper. <laughs> oh, ooh. So we just boy. said fuck the English, and we're back using. It. <laughs> hey, fuck them, but we'll use your sources. <laughs> and if we're English, we still love you. But I mean, come on. But I come on. But come on, your museums like stole a lot of shit. All right, here we go. Our name of the article is, Did an Artwork Solve a Decade-Old New York City Crime? Oh, man, I hope, it's a, I hope it's a picture of pizza pie. Murder in the Masterpiece, How a Piece of uh, Pizza Pie Solved the Case yeah. of the Thrill Do you Killers. have a favorite uh, piece of artwork? I think I going to say piece of pizza. <laughs> Do you have a favorite piece of pizza that you ever had? <laughs> a favorite piece of artwork? I feel, like, pretentious for having one, but I do have a, like... Is it, like, a canvas painting that I really, really want to buy because I love it so much. Are you, like, super basic? Is it, like, Starry Night? No, 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 no. It's not, like, Scream or Starry Night or some shit. No, it's, like... It's the only piece of artwork that I actually, like, know the name of. And so... It's called Last of the Merlot by Mark Bryan. And I'll hit you with a link, Scones. I fuck. I love this so goddamn much. Holy take, uh, shit! Take gander <laughs> <laughs> this is sick. <laughs> it's so dope. <laughs> and I need to buy a canvas of. He does a bunch of artwork. Shout out to Mark Bryan. Basically, what it is, I know you're all listening. Like, wow, this is the worst podcast ever. Uh, it's it's like a classic Renaissance looking painting of a of a table with like wine and cheese, you know. And then in the background, it's like these nice like vineyards that sprawl out. However, one of the wine glasses is knocked over and there's a bunch of like robot and aliens <laughs> like shooting lasers onto the city in the background. The robots are like, lo- kind of <laughs> like low-key thick too. 
Yeah, they they look dummy thick, and I lo- that's the reason I like the painting so much. Is because I'm like, damn, those are some dummy thick robos. No, I don't. Ha- I don't think I have a a cool painting like that. I like the paintings well, from uh, the Isabella Stewart Garden Museum that got robbed, but that's mostly because it's a cool story yeah, of how they got stolen. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I'm. I realized that was not audio. Uh, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not not good for audio, and also a bit of a tangent. So sounds. And you have to deal with it. Look up Last of the Merlot, everybody, and you'll be like, "Hey, that's a pretty cool painting." I think. Murderous deeds have inspired artists <laughs> like Caravaggio, Jacques oh, Louis David, and Paul Cezanne. Just so everyone knows, we're in turtlenecks while we're recording this one. Yeah, I have like little beatnik glasses and like yeah, exactly, a, a, exactly. A soul patch to produce yep. some of their best known works. But has there ever been a case of artwork helping solve a real life murder mystery? That'd be sick if they're like, no, goodbye. <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with the rest <laughs> of this story. <laughs> On August sixteenth, nineteen fifty four, four Jewish teenagers dubbed the Kill for Thrills Gang were accused. That's of... That's so. Dope. It'd be cool if they were like a punk rock band, but instead they're I was not. Gonna say, they like are a Beastie Boys. <laughs> accused of slaying black factory worker Ooh. Willard Mentor under the Williamsburg Bridge. Okay, so that's I take it back. They're not that cool. Yeah, they're a bunch of not cool people who got a cool nickname, and it's not fair when not cool people get cool nicknames. It ruins that nickname. Why did for they the have to include that they were Jewish? Um, I guess it doesn't. Is there anything really, in the story that matters? Like, there's an irony to it. Because uh, one of them, I believe it's Jack Coslow, uh, like worshipped Adolf Hitler. Oh, that's super weird. Right. What the fuck? Um, okay, I guess that make. I okay. So according, I guess that's why they would mention it is because they yeah, had like Nazi uh, alignment, which is like what a dumb, <laughs> what a bunch of dummies. <laughs> what a they're so stupid. According so to police stupid. accounts, Brooklyn youths, youths. Jack Coslow, 18, Melvin Mittman, 17, Jerome Lieberman, 17, and Robert Trachtenberg, 15, confessed to beating and kicking their victim, burning his feet with lit cigarettes, and then dragging him to the end of South Fifth Street, where he was then beaten again to the point of unconsciousness, thrown the river, and left to drown. Wait, 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 wait. These are like 15, 16, 17-year-olds? 15, 17, 18-year-olds. That's not old enough (laughs) Not old enough head, to, but I, to what? Oh, like kill I don't a guy? Know. I mean, to like I light so. a dude's feet on fire. I mean, I guess. That, I mean, it is old enough, especially like eight. I don't know. I heard fifteen, and in my head, uh, like I didn't know how <laughs> to like fight a fifteen-year-old. <laughs> I didn't know how to like write English in, when I was fifteen. I don't know. How, <laughs> I didn't know how to write good, done good, and I barely do now. But like that's oh, he card read good. In their confession statements, the four boys admitted to a litany of other offenses and unsolved crimes that had panicked their neighborhood over the summer, punching and kicking to death a second man, Reinhold Ulrichsen, on a Brooklyn street corner 10 days earlier, pouring gasoline over a third man and setting him on fire, horsewhipping two young women in a public park late at night, and assaulting numerous others who had the misfortune of encountering them. Dude, this is like fucking, uh, what is it? What's the, what's the, what's the movie? Uh, Clockwork Orange shit. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, pretty wild stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Ryan Benz. <laughs> Check out Last of Them Below. Check us out on Twitter. <laughs> follow at Ryan Benz, an author. Follow at Monday Morning Macabre. Follow at Last of Them Merlot, a new Instagram page we made where we just repost Last of Them Merlot every day. <laughs> I would, uh, I'd, I'd love that. Prosecutors express shock and bewilderment. I can't understand what would make boys do such a terrible thing. 
Because when has a boy yeah. or a guy, a man, ever done anything bad? <laughs> Said the Kings <laughs> County District Attorney. They apparently had no reason except the thrill they got. It's funny. This is back when, like, that was a new thought. Even though there were definitely were serial killers, people are just like... Oh, yeah. Wait, when did this take place? 1954. Oh, okay. That's the year of my father's birth. Yeah, so. and don't worry. We're going to bring back an old hashtag from the season one of Monday Morning Macabre. Hashtag, hashtag fuck the 50s. Fuck the 50s. Hey, baby. The 50s sucked. They're weirdly romanticized. <laughs> it's dumb. Yeah. It's, and also, it wasn't in black and white. Like, that shit was in color. What? The so-called Knights of Horror Crimes <laughs> the story of four good boys gone bad shattered the complacency of an American summer. Do you think they wore leather jackets? A thousand percent they wore leather jackets yeah, and they kept okay. their cigarettes in the sleeve of their white tees. Yep, yep, their yep, white yep, yep, tees. Yep, yep. Overnight, Kozlo, Mr. Mittman, Lieberman, and Trachtenberg earned a notoriety as the human face of juvenile delinquency. That's a sentence that's... Not fun. That's to also not like juvenile delinquency. That's fucking capital murder. This is what <laughs> happens. You know, if you're not putting your boys in organized sports, they just get into trouble like this. <laughs> Thank God my son played rec volleyball when he was eight. Thank God we have the rec center. Articles on the boys and their exploits appeared in mainstream news publications like Times, Newsweek, Look, and the New York Times, which splashed the case on its front page. So great was the media frenzy that by the end of the year, Hollywood gossip queen. Hita Hopper suggested the boys were the inspiration for James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause. Oh. Little uh, influence. I don't know if that's true, and I doubt that anyone <laughs> and would I ever... don't give a shit. <laughs> Guess what? It's the 50s. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> Everyone had an opinion on what the, made the boys do it. With nationally renowned psychiatrists, this is some hashtag fuck the 50s shit coming yeah. up. Nationally renowned psychiatrists blaming the explosion of violence on the boys' sexual Weed. demons. Oh, these okay. boys appear to me to be bound together in a kinship of pathological dedications, declared Dr. Robert Hoffman. They're probably homosexual and should be eliminated from society. <laughs> what the fuck? Wow. 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 Big now, yikes. was there a comma between those or was that a single thought? What, They're probably what homosexual. We... <laughs> dot, dot, dot. They should be eliminated from society. Wow. That's uh. Oh, bully. Hashtag fuck the 50s. Hashtag. Did we steal the hashtag thing from, uh, I think we not purposefully stole it from John Oliver. <laughs> what do you, what, what? Have you seen last week tonight? Uh, I've seen like one episode. All right. So this is what I mean by we accidentally say hashtag stole it. a lot. He'll have that. Uh, you know what? We'll just edit all this out. I feel like saying <laughs> hashtag before things is like a joke that's been happening for the last like decade. Yeah, probably. I mean, I've said like hashtag whatever for like years. John Oliver has only been around for like he might have still learned from you. Yeah, he could have. We don't know. He doesn't. He knows. He fucking knows. He fuck John. You know what you did. You're on the shit list John, now, John Oliver. John, you fucking made it. Let welcome to the hell, baby. <laughs> it's getting like star studded. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe one of them will hear about it and and tweet at me. Prosecutors assured the public that the case against the boys was watertight, although charges were dismissed against the two youngest defendants mid-trial. Sketchy. Wait, is that? Is that mean? What is watertight? Like airtight, but worse or better? I don't. Nah. When a prosecutor understand. comes in, he's like, "Nah, this is watertight." It means like we're throwing the book at him. Like they're gonna get fucked. Like we. This is open shut case. All those other <laughs> words that easy says, gg. <laughs> yeah, gg easy nerds. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but then the youngest two, like, all the charges were dismissed. 
And it's like, oh, yeah, they didn't kick the guy hard enough for him to die. Wait, what? I don't know. However, jurors found... The youngest two did not get charged at all? Nah, the charges were dismissed. That's so crazy. Even though the difference between the second youngest and the second oldest was was 17. So it's like, what? (laughs) That doesn't make any goddamn sense, but continue. However, jurors found Jack Koslow and Melvin Mittman guilty of first-degree murder. And in January 1955, they were sentenced to life in prison with hard labor. Wow. This is like one of the first times that the... 50% got him. (laughs) Yeah, at least like the punishment is severe now usually it's like oh they killed that man and got 14 months of hard ice cream labor it's like what does that mean i could see like the 15 year old maybe getting like a lesser sentence than the others but like even then like how are you expecting that person to go into society normal when they had no reform at all (laughs) yeah could you imagine (laughs) yeah that's not how that works one bit it's like maybe he'll think about it maybe he'll feel bad you know what we need to get him into a YMCA. <laughs> yeah, get the rec center open. <laughs> <laughs> Yet questions lingered about the boys and their crimes. Their trial had taken place in an atmosphere of hysteria. They had not testified in their own defense, and prosecutors had presented no evidence to support the allegations of torture and homosexuality. The boys had been publicly accused of not one but two murders, yet charges were never brought against them in the death of Reinhold Ulrichsen, nor had they been charged with the other serious allegations such as setting a man on fire or assaulting Jesus. young girls. Few substantive substantive details were known about them. So it sounds like the whole thing like went really fast. They were blown under the rug. Like it was in hysteria. New York was like just like fucking prosecute the two oldest ones. Maybe like Yeah. They like just get yeah. It's New York in a New York minute, it was over. Oh my gosh. You know what? There's four boys here, four guys in the story, but the fifth member, the fifth character in this story is New York City itself. Is the Big Apple, baby. More than half a century. What? <laughs> <laughs> New York, New York. New York. More than half a century. I'm going to wake up. Nope. Where the city, in the, ci- in the city that never sleeps. If you can make it here. You'll make it. Over, over there. Over there. It's just it's pointing to Brooklyn. <laughs> New Jersey. (laughs) More than half a century would pass before the questions could be answered. And only after a seven-year investigation that began in the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and ended in a cheap motel room in a bedroom of a community of Sunrise outside Fort Lauderdale. It was in Sunrise that I finally came face-to-face with the person I had always suspected knew what happened under the Williamsburg Bridge on August 16th, 1954. He had, almost a literal sense, stepped out of a canvas. So this is where... uh, this is where our writer, Andrew Scott Cooper, starts to get his uh, fingerprints dirty here. That's where he starts so I'm, to get I'm, a I'm very confused things. as to, A, why is there even further investigation? Because it sounds like they were caught and prosecuted. So two of them were prosecuted, but only for the murder of that one guy. Okay. None of their other crimes were answered for, including, so Reinhold Ulrichsen just died and no one was ever charged for his oh, murder. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Not to mention the guy who got set on fire and the girls who were whipped in the park. Like, no justice, yep. and two of these assholes still got off. And they probably would not have gotten off if the they were charged for all of this stuff. I see. The more you know. On a cool spring morning <laughs> in 1998, I stood face-to-face with a work of art that would dominate my thoughts for the next seven years. The last of the Merlot. The last. Can you imagine if we had the fourth That would be fucking crazy. <laughs> 
I had recently moved to San Francisco and offered my research skills to Dr. Jonathan Katz, an art scholar who was studying the works of Robert uh, geez, Rauschenberg and Jasper Johns, the two lions of the Cold War New York art scene who had been in a relationship to the mid to late 1950s. Jeez, I can't even read this stuff. Love those guys. <laughs> Cats. Cats <laughs> believe they had used their work to secretly communicate with each other as well as closeted artists at the time. That's pretty cool. When gay men in America were subject to discrimination, blacklist, and even arrest. Cats was especially interested in one piece, Rauschenberg's collection from 1955. I wondered if it had a story to tell. The canvas was a riot of color panels in red, blue, and yellow. But if you look closely enough, you could see barely visible fragments of newspaper articles, photographs, and cartoons. Ooh. The canvas was also embedded with three-dimensional items such as a tiny mirror, pieces of silk, and scraps of wood. I'm just thinking of an I Spy book. It sounds like that. <laughs> it's like, in the painting, can you find the tiny army man, the car, the teddy bear? <laughs> the, the answer to the crime from 1954. <laughs> I almost knew nothing about modern art. All right, this is where the writer gets me back. Still less about Rauschenberg, but accepted <laughs> yep. the challenge of trying to identify and decipher as much of the canvas as possible. Collection was displayed on the second floor gallery of the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. With a poster-sized reproduction of the painting in hand, and with the aid of a magnifying glass, I took the print home and for the next six months studied it, trying to discern the meaning of its imagery. Literally, I spy. Yep. In the 1950s, said Newsweek, Texas-born Robert Rauschenberg was the infant terror... The infant terrible... Of American modernism. Um, All right, listen here. Yeah, uh, I know listener. what it means, but I you am, might have to look that up for yourself. <laughs> I have no fucking idea what that means. I'm not an yep. art guy. This is like the the scones subject. is the infunterable of our uh, podcast right now. <laughs> I feel Just like it. FYI. Art's like that one thing when like you're out at bar trivia and you're like, all right, I feel like I'm getting pretty good, and then they're like, next yeah. up is art, and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Do sports Enfant again? Terrible. A person whose unconventional or controversial behavior or ideas shock, embarrass, or annoy others. Oh, yeah. Scones is the unfaunted play of this podcast. Yep. His fabled early... The infant terrible. <laughs> I am the infant terrible. <laughs> His fabled early works called Combines were produced in a $35 a month loft he rented on Manhattan's Lower East Side. <laughs> Can you believe that rent today, listeners? Oh, my God. Hey. Can you believe the rent in New York City? <laughs> we relate to you. <laughs> it's like the traffic in L.A. The traffic on the freeway go up the 405. Is... Oh, no. Combines were three-dimensional works of varying size and shapes whose canvases incorporated everything from bits of trash he picked up off the street to personal letters, newspaper clippings, magazine advertisements, and cartoon strips. Some of the artist's more extreme works included a baseball, an umbrella, the preserved corpse of a sheep, yuck, and in one Whoa, celebra- we just we just escalated real quick. Oh, yeah, he gets a little Carl Tanzler on that one. A baseball, an umbrella, <laughs> a fucking dead sheep. <laughs> And in one celebrated instance, an entire bed doused with red paint. That's These aren't like, okay, four of the five or whatever that you just listed were not extreme. Yeah, imagine getting celebrated for your red paint bed and not yeah, for your preserved corpse <laughs> of a sheep. It's like, yikes. It's like, dude, come on, I tried way harder on that other one. Collection, produced in 1954, the high tide of the McCarthy era, was one of Rauschenberg's best-known combines. The artist had always denied that he works held deeper meaning probably because it was the mccarthy era but after only several mm. weeks spent peering at the canvas i begged to differ my own view was that collection was a riff on the urban malaise malay a yeah malaise, malaise you got that. of the early malaise. 1950s when pink <laughs> when 
Pink Panic crested with thousands of suspected homosexuals arrested in police sweeps. Mm. So 1950s, again, fuck the 50s. You have McCarthy era, which is like, they think everybody's a communist. And then Pink Panic, which is thousands of people are being <laughs> arrested just for being suspected as homosexuals. Hashtag fuck the that's, 50s. That's, uh, yeah, that's a, real, that's a real fuck the 50s moment. My magnifying glass picked out a tiny scrap of barely legible and very faded newspaper print in the center of the canvas with the date August 22nd. 1954. Although the newspaper it came from could not be identified, clearly that date had aroused the artist's interest. A front page headline of the New York Times said, Teenage Killers Identified Body. Ooh. This suggested one possibility. It was a rare at the time for the Times to give local crime stories much play and certainly not on the front page. The story of the four Brooklyn thrill killers seemed to bring together collections' basic themes. According to the Times version of events, over the summer of 1954, New York City was terrorized by a band of teenage homosexual neo-Nazi Jewish thrill killers who attended a local high school, where a number of teachers had been expelled for holding leftist political views. Dude, that was the, like, the toughest gang in my high school, too. Uh, yeah. So basically, this guy has this painting, and he's like, what the heck? It's got newspaper in it of the thrill killers, and then everything seems to be Turns linked to it. Turns out the date's the same. But then he's like, oh, my art research assistant internship came to an end and then he's like oh okay i guess two and a half years later he picks it up again in january 2001 he reminds me a lot of myself i decided to take another look at the case of the kill for thrills gang it seemed like a good way to test my skills as a researcher while moving into a new career as a historian i also wondered about the police version of events and whether the boys really committed these dastardly deeds did they <gasps> what if they were just an innocent oh, group man. of homosexual neo-Nazi Jewish thrill killers? <laughs> yep. <clears throat> that would be that would be a wild twist to this story. How did four good boys from stable immigrant homes wind up on the front page of the New York Times accused of committing one of the crimes of the century? I don't know if that's one of the crimes of the century, dude. The 20th century was pretty fucked up. Yeah, I was going to say H.H. H. Holmes was a dude. <laughs> that, yeah. That's a pretty crazy crime. Uh, like World War II, like take your pick. Yeah, also that. Uh, there's we've talked about a bunch of stuff that probably Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. <laughs> uh, Son of Sam in the sixties, Zodiac. Guess, you got yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, but but do you? I guess we're not here to decide <laughs> which is the, the crime of the century. How many crimes do you think make <laughs> it to the platform of crime of the century? <clears throat> Only one, and that's who ate my goddamn cocoa puffs. Who ate his cocoa puffs, folks? Find out next week open. on Monday. Find morning macab. <laughs> I bought all of the most expensive art pieces in my town. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> For the next six months. Oh, get all the ones that your mom stole from that library. Yeah, don't talk about it. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> For the next six months, I petitioned New York State and city agencies to release all surviving records about the case. The breakthrough, when it finally came, was like something out of a Raymond Chandler pot boiler. On June 11th. I don't like this guy's references. <laughs> yeah. Bully. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like my his God, language this or is references. like a Raymond Chandler pop bar. Yeah. <laughs> On June 11th, I was at my desk overlooking San Francisco's Market Street. So they get a call from Ellen Borokov, spokesperson of the New York City Office of Chief Medical Examiner. The New York City Office of right-wing neo-Nazi gay Jewish kids. <laughs> she was the expert. She located the autopsy reports for Willard Benton. She was the most Nazi, <laughs> most gay, most Jewish one of them all. And if you needed to know about the thrill killers, you had to talk to her. <laughs> had located, she had located the autopsy report for Willard Mentor and Reinhold Ulrichsen. Only there was a problem. 
The coroner's reports did not match the official police version of these events. They showed that neither of the murder victims had actually been murdered. Uh, Zoinks. Uh, <laughs> that one hurt my, my throat. Hey, if you're going to go Scooby, if you go full uh, Scooby sometimes, it's going to... Yeah, if you got to go full Scooby or no Scooby. No half Scoobs. No, ha- hashtag no half Scoobs. Hashtag no half Scoobs. There was more. Years earlier, said Mrs. Borakov, someone had tampered with the mentor's certificate and had placed a strip of white tape over the cause of death on their tag. We've never oh. seen anything like it before, she told me. This is very strange. Yeah, I'd say so, Miss Borakov. This is a fucking cover. It goes all the way to the top, doesn't it? goes all the way to the top. Bill it's Clinton. Bill Clinton, baby. <laughs> Bill Clinton we got in the him. woods of Virginia. He's probably playing saxophone right somewhere, and he's like, wait, I feel a disturbance. Because we got him. Disturbance in the falls. Five weeks later. Bill. <laughs> five <laughs> weeks later on a sweltering July day, I walked into. Obi-Wan Clintobi. Obi-Wan is all Clint- I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Just continue. had to get it in there. <laughs> I had to. So on a sweltering July day, I walk into Miss Borakov's Manhattan office. Borakov's. Willard Mentor's autopsy report showed that he had drowned following an alleged assault, although there was no evidence of laceration, contusion, or abrasion of the head. There were also no injuries to his hand indicating a struggle. Remarkably, his feet too were unmarked. There is no evidence of laceration, abrasion, or burn, said the report. Yeah, we I just uh. heard that. Anyway. By February 2005, I was... <laughs> anyway, I was, there was no... <laughs> laceration, abrasion, or burn. Get it out of <laughs> it. It's not there. According to the report. I don't know if I believe it. Either way. By February 2005, I was back in New York, and I compiled boxes of documents about the boy's case, convinced they were innocent and the victims of a police cover-up. The same month, I flew down to Fort Lauderdale to interview Melvin Mittman, who had responded to a written interview request. So this person's going down to talk to one of these crazies. Down to Melvin... Jan to Melvin. Life had not Going been... Going down to Melvin. Life had not been good to Melvin Mittman. He was overweight, diabetic, and still deeply scarred by his treatment at the hands of the police half a century earlier. Now 67, his stained shirt was too small for his bulky frame. His only fans was failing. And his only fans was failing. <laughs> One of the toes sported an open wound, a prosecutor of the Ooh. gangrene that would soon claim his leg. His, he chain-smoked and couldn't look me in the eye, but he was ready to talk, and a story he told me over the next few days was compelling. I like it. It supported the documents in my possession, suggesting the four boys had been framed by overzealous detectives in the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office. Damn. Mr. Mittman explained that he had spent the first few weeks of the summer of 1954 in the company of his friend, Jack Coslow, a smart kid but one with a neighborhood reputation for pulling cruel pranks and getting into trouble. Coslow read comic books, saw himself as a crime-fighting hero, and admired New York City Police Commissioner Francis Adams' ongoing crackdown in Manhattan against social undesirables, quote-unquote. Yikes. The McCarthy era's euphemism for homosexuals, juvenile delinquents, and vagrants. As the summer of 1954 wore on and the crackdown intensified, gay men, many of them homeless and alcoholic, began drifting over the Williamsburg Bridge. I thought you were going to say many of them homosexuals. <laughs> many of them. <laughs> Gay men, many of them homosexual. Many of them preferring men. <laughs> began drifting over the Williamsburg Bridge to the comparative safety of Brooklyn. They found refuge along the Brooklyn waterfront and set up encampments. Coslow decided to start a street cleansing operation of his own to Jesus. restore law and order to Williamsburg using shock tactics against the newcomers. Well, I love how it's like law and order. It's like, what, what laws are they breaking? It has nothing to do with law and order. Well, was being gay illegal back then? 
I mean, it's just all only has to do with people being like, oh, two guys kissing makes me feel weird. Like, that's it. <laughs> it's not like a law and order. And boy, oh boy, did Jack Cosow take it seriously. He planned to clean the streets of bums, get them so scared they stay sober. That was the thought. Cosow did not see himself as breaking the law, but instead helping the police to do their job to end the crime wave. Mr. Mittman was bored and with nothing else to do over the summer, joined Coslow on his nocturnal wanderings through the back streets of Williamsburg. The two passed themselves off as undercover police officers, issued threats, and got into the odd scuffle. But on the night of August 6th, a scuffle involving Mr. Mittman and Reinhold Ulrichsen, a homeless alcoholic, ended in tragedy when the older man fell and knocked his head on the side of a curb, losing consciousness and dying from his injuries several days later. Willard Mentor perished in similar circumstances 10 days later when he slipped off the river pier beneath the bridge during an altercation with Coslow as Mr. Mittman looked on. Jerome Lieberman and Robert Tachtenberg had been in the company of the two older boys earlier in the evening but weren't on the scene and never witnessed Mentor drown. The boys were feckless bullies, but they were not members of a gang, let alone hardened thrill killers. Hmm. During the 40 hours he was held in police custody, Melvin Mittman said he was refused a telephone call or access to legal counsel and made to sit hour after hour under bright lights. Denied food and deprived of sleep, he became disoriented. I was softened up pretty good, and the others too, I guess. If detectives were unhappy with his explanation, they raised their fists as if to strike him. He was <laughs> threatened plenty of times, a beating I wasn't afraid of. They got me by wearing me out, and of course, they got me by taking turns on me. And then they were coming in and telling me what Jack told them. I'm ratted on. I'm getting set up for the whole thing. I'm the fall guy. A classic police tactic. True. So what we have here is this is painting everyone but Jack Coslow to be like less guilty, I guess. And that the two people that yeah. died, like it was sort of they were going to beat him up, but they didn't mean to kill him, which I guess like you still kill right. him, you're still getting charged. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I believe it. We'll see. Assistant District Attorney Lewis Cohen, a handsome young rising star in New York political circles, led the questioning. According to Mr. Mittman, Cohen brought his own stenographer to the interview room and pressured him to confess to crimes he knew nothing about, then doctored his statements to admit his culpability. If Cohen didn't like the answer to a question, he told the stenographer, erase that. Yikes. (laughs) That's good police work. The best. That happened a lot, recalled Mr. Mittman. That's why I called him a creep. I didn't forget that. Cohen told the stenographer, take that off the record. Take it out. Take it out. (laughs) Finally, the detectives called me in, and the cops started asking questions. He's telling me I did this. I did that. That's how they do it. The most serious offense they tried to pin on him was the rape of a teenage boy on a railway in Long Island City. Jesus. I was asked about a lot of crimes, he said. I admitted to a lot of stuff I never did. But there was one particular case that they were trying to pin on me. It was a guy getting a homosexual kid on a railway track, beat the crap out of him, and then forcing a blowjob on him. Now, I didn't know nothing. But they kept pressing and I denied, denied, denied. And finally they let go. Supposed to have happened in Long Island City. Never went to Long Island City. They tried to pin it on us real bad. Real bad. Later, when he was doing time in Sing Sing. I don't know what Sing Sing is. Must be a prison. It's a prison. Mel, where is it? It's in Sing Sing. No, it's like a super famous. uh, I'm not sure where exactly it is. Let's do the research. Uh, It's New York State Department of Corrections. It's Sing Sing Correctional Facility. It is in. It's in Ossining, New York. Ah, Beautiful Ossining. Beautiful in the fall. Back in New York, I took another look at the poster reproduction of Collection. So he's back to the painting. Perhaps because I had not looked at it close up for several years, my gaze was drawn to three letters spelling out her in the front of the New York Herald Tribune. Her stood for the first half of the word herald, 
and directly beneath it was the word plot. Rauschenberg had dazzled the thin line of black paint over the second word, but it was still visible to the naked eye. He was trying to tell the world something about this crime. Oh, was he trying to <laughs> question? <laughs> he was trying to tell the world. <laughs> was he? Flicking through a newspaper clip book for August 1954, I saw the word plot match the front page of the New York Herald Tribune for August 20th, 1954, whose top left-hand corner contained the partially obscured headline, Extortion Plot Nibbed. Opposite and to the right was an article on Senator McCarthy and the Red Scare. But my attention was riveted by the article they framed. Slain man taken from river, it read. Forced to view victim, thrill killers break. Brooklyn's four teenage killers who murdered and tortured for fun flinched yesterday when they were confronted with the body of one of their two known murder victims. Three of the hoodlums cried out in terror when they viewed the bruised face of the man they beat up and pushed into the East River. So the writer then goes on to sum up that Rauschenberg had obviously placed the front page of the New York Herald Tribune. And while it still remains unproven, if the boys, Mm -hmm. if it's really what Mittman said, or if they were truly guilty, like many claim them to be, Rauschenberg obviously placed the front page of the New York Herald Tribune with a story on the four boys in the center of his canvas, then obscured it with paint, photographs, news clippings, pictures, and cartoons. He obviously put the word plot there and held to the clue to unlocking the meaning of collection, in a sense, the case of the four boys. So by unlocking... The meaning of collection, that painter, Rauschenberg, was like, my paintings don't have other meanings, but it's pretty obvious that it had to do with this case. And then... Right. I don't I don't agree that it unlocks the case of the four boys, because... Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think... It doesn't, like, prove either way, but it's definitely interesting that... I wish it was, like, and he added a piece of evidence to the painting that like yeah unfortunately the blah, blah, blah. it's kind of like the movie zodiac <laughs> for all you listening it's like <laughs> or, oh, or the wow, real jump to the new well yes but i mean the movie was very unsatisfied <laughs> ending it's like oh still don't got him we still don't yeah. truly know what happened um it's really tough because well obviously i don't think any of these guys are guilty they went around beating up like doing whatever Koslo yeah these said. guys don't sound innocent to me they sound like they're still at best, they're assaulting people. At worst, they're murderers. Yeah. And like at their original Ooh. trial, like Coslow's attorney was uh, Senator Fred Morritt, who would try to paint the boy's action as simple mischief and implied the mentors that the guy mentor's death was not a loss for society. So that's horrible. Yikes. Still plenty of stuff, horrible stuff that happened. Yeah. A lot of um, people at the time like the the article said it was hysteria and a lot of the hysteria was pointed at the comic book industry that's so stupid psychiatric experts uh said that comic books were the reason that um like young men were becoming violent and like that's literally just the video games of today like that argument of like video games cause like violence it's just like what's the popular media that's the issue yeah it's like have you seen the meme it's like <laughs> It's like Facebook and InfoWars are doing to a, like our parents' generation what yeah. they thought video yeah. games would do to us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, they thought that like comic books were the reasons for their sexual perversions, quote, quote. Interesting uh, thought there. Yeah, especially what's even more interesting is Jack Kozlow, a man obviously of contradictions. He's grew up Jewish. Worshipped Hitler. Worshipped Hitler. And then was like, I'm going to... That's just like... 
I'm gonna go out and like he's gonna go out and he thinks he's like a superhero by doing horrible stuff to the gay people yeah. of New York, and then all of the courts and like the hysteria is like, oh, it's because he's like also then pins on him that he's gay or says that it's because they're all homosexual gang. I don't think there's there's no evidence that any of them were homosexual or that they tortured anyone. Apparently, that's this whole story is uh, just of uh, just a fuck the fifties story. Like this, everything about it kind of sucks. Uh, yeah, like, I hate everyone involved. Really, it the the moral of the story is uh, hysteria can be really fucked up. Yeah, a lot of people got pinned for a lot of shit they may or may not have done. But I okay, well here's what we can definitely say. Is that there were people who were getting pinned for crimes they definitely did not commit. Yes. If they were uh, of the, quote, like, unwanted society. Oh, undesirables, I think it said. Undesirables, yeah. Uh, And that's horrific. These specific people, we don't... You either take the word of the guy who was found guilty of it, which is always uh, a tough pill to swallow, or assume that the uh the justice system was flawed which uh, again that's there's plenty of evidence there too so it's it's a toss-up i don't know and apparently the justice system was so flawed that there's no way modern forensics could prove either way but it is interesting to think that these painters were communicating through their work like that that's kind of cool it is and i totally believe that part that he was yeah, like definitely. the artist was like trying to be like hey check this out hey hey you He's like the guy like in the movie that slides you like the the clue. He's like, look deeper into this. <laughs> and then the main character is like, what? What's your name? And looks up and the yeah, guy's and he's gone. gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or like a bus bus passes in front of him and then he's gone. Yeah. So any kind of. Exactly. Any, any kind of trope. Any kind of guy being gone. Yeah. You know, tro- you guys know tropes. Hey, you know tropes. Hey, you know tropes. Tell him I say hi. <sighs> so the motto of today's episode is check out Last of the Merlot. It's a wonderful painting. <laughs> it's got thicky, wonderful thicky art. bots just blasting thicky videos. Thicky bot 5000s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, that's, hey, that's that's another another Monday in the bag, you know? Uh, I'm sleepy. I got tripped to fan up the wazoo right now. Dude, I'm a little too awake after my nap, and I'm worried it's going to make me stay up all night. We'd be up all night. But I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving, like we said. Uh, Shout out to all the listeners. Shout out to the Patreon uh, subscribers. I hope you guys enjoyed Scones' fanfic. If you wanted to read his fanfic, join the Patreon. It's a a good-ass read. Me and and my wife read it. It takes a toll to write that. For sure. (laughs) A piece of Scones was left behind and put on the pages. Follow us. Monday Morning Macabre on Instagram, MM Macabre Pod on Twitter, MondayMorningMacabre.com. Check out the shop. Check out the, the, the other stuff. Do all of and it. Break out that nog. It's the time of year. It, yeah. Egg Rip nog. out the nog. I get that hood golden eggnog. You know the carton. You know it. Oh, I know the, I know the carton. Oh, jeez. I think I have some. I'm going to go drink it. All right. All right. And with that, have a great <laughs> have Monday. Have a good Monday. Bye. Bye. Thank you.